retro anime. How did we find it? How does it hold up? Unpacking the ins and outs of being an old school nerd, and proving that 80s kids can't remember a damn thing right. These are the mindless midlife musings of the anime nerd. Welcome to Mindless Midlife Musings of the Anime Nerd. I'm Rick, and I'm joined by the rest of our panel, Vic, Brian, and Lynette. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 And now in this episode, we get downright fierce and unleash a Hadouken as we discuss the 1994 video game anime Street Fighter II movie. So Street Fighter II movie is a 1994 anime film uh, adaptation of the Street Fighter II fighting game written by Kenichi Imai, directed by Gisaburo Sugi. And animated by group TAC or TAC, not really sure how they say it. The film originally released in Japan on August 6, 1994. Now, before we get into the myriad of localizations for this film, I'm going to hand it over to Vic to give us some history on Street Fighter up to this point. Vic? Okay, so Street Fighter 2, the game credited with making the one-on-one fighting game into what it is today. Released in 1991 on the Capcom CPS system board in arcades, SF2 invigorated the genre. You had eight playable, eight mostly playable unique characters, uh, six button controls, a combo system, and more. While Ryu and Ken returned from the original Street Fighter 2, new characters such as Chun Li, Blanca, Guile, Yi Honda, Zangief, and Dalsum, as well as four playable bosses, well, until Champion Edition released, uh, you had Vega, Balrog, Sagat, and M. Bison, which I'm using, of course, the U.S. names. Um, this game not only spawned four additional upgrades in arcades from Champion Edition, which made the four boss characters playable, Turbo, which gave us the insane speed upgrade, then you had Super Street Fighter 2, which introduced T-Hawk, Phelong, Kami, and DJ, as well as Super Turbo that gave us Akuma. This game, besides all the renditions, you know, millions of players, it also inspired the competition. Games from, well, I can't really say SNK because a few months later they released Fatal Fury, which was the, actually designed by the former Capcom creator of SF1, Takashi Nishiyama, and released it, like I said, a few months after SF2. Uh, Street Fighter 2, in some version, has made it home to almost every single console and PC. From the SNES, Genesis or Mega Drive, where you're from, PC Engine, 3DO, Saturn, PlayStation, and pretty much every single major console and portable since. And it's still released today and still used in many fighting game tournaments as well. The series is still going strong, even with the dislike of SF5 for quite a few people. Street Fighter VI was just recently announced. And that is the quick, quick version of this. <laughs> and so that brings us to summer 1994, when Street Fighter II movie drops uh was august as i said earlier now uh, it released in japan it took this is where we're going to get a little bit into the localizations it it took a full over a year following for it to finally get released in the united states officially uh as a localization but that's not where i first watched it so um, let's see, it was hot off of playing my Sega Genesis copy of Super Street Fighter 2, right? Having a great old time. And then I remember distinctly, it was Game Pro Magazine or Game Fan Magazine, one of those two. It was Die Hard Game Fan. Ah, look there, my man. And they did a write-up on Street Fighter 2 movie. 
and they had they had screenshots of the film and you know all of our drops our jaws collectively dropped um as we were salivating to see this film knowing assuming that it would eventually make it to our shores but that didn't matter we wanted it now we were playing the game now we don't have to wait for this and i don't remember how i ended up here but it was a comic book shop in homestead and our friend brian alejandro was working there mm-hmm. and they had a bootleg of street fighter 2 movie and and he he it rented was a it bootleg. to a, oh hell yeah it was a, it was a very much a bootleg it was a bootleg <laughs> and and he he lent it to us and i took it home and we all watched it on my living room big screen TV where I immediately dubbed a copy of it because I knew there was no way in hell I wasn't going to have this. You had no choice. Oh, yeah. And and we watched it there and it was grainy and it was beat up. It was it, it looked like a bootleg, like very much what you expected a bootleg to look like. And worth every second. But it did no, not. I, 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 think, I think we have to we have to stop and, and, and talk about <laughs> Same way that you used to make mixtapes back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> you used to be able to take a VCR, pair it up to another VCR, and then record that. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing about it is when we're talking about bootlegs, we weren't really bootlegging then as much as just making a copy. Yeah, no, we were receiving the bootleg. And we were receiving the yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were copy. making a copy of copy that was copied God knows how many times before that. Yeah. Right, Some, right, yeah. right. There was degradation. Oh, oh, horrible, horrible. Uh, but even then, it was still Did some of the most beautiful animation we'd ever seen. It was still hype. Like we were so into it. It was such a thing. And uh and yeah, and, and that was I mean, that's how I remember. I don't know if you guys had seen it any other way before then, but that was 1994. How? How? Like that was how? it, right? And how? then, <laughs> and, and then I'll I'll get to I'll get to the localization stuff in a minute. But first, I wanted to ask Lynette. Lynette, when was the first time you had ever seen this anime? This time. Oh, this is the games. <laughs> yes, this is so good. This is what we needed. All right, fresh perspective. Yeah. This is her first time? Yeah. Say it again for the people in the back. It's her first time watching Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> All but, right. And, 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 you, and you were able to finish it? Yes. All right. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not finished All right. So, uh, 1995, I had a job at Blockbuster Video because, of course, that's where the cartoon nerd gets a job, right? And. They had a publication that comes every month and it tells you what all the uh, the new releases are going to be so you can pre-order your copies. And and for those of you who are unaware or weren't part of the industry, uh, VHS copies that were sold to video rental stores were not called sell-through, which is they weren't 20 bucks. You couldn't just buy a $20 copy of a movie and then have it for your shelves. They, they sold them for a shit ton of money. Like the average copy of a single VHS was ninety nine dollars, mm-hmm. and that's what stores like Blockbuster Video, your local rental stores, would pay to get that onto their shelves. So I knew months before this was coming out, finally localization had been over a year. I'd been watching my absolutely shitty dub of this movie over and over again. Probably, 
probably wore it off. Oh, wore it out. Wearing the hell out of that tape. And um and finally it was coming out in America and I lost my shit. I was so excited. Because they were doing a PG thirteen version and an unrated version. And I was like, hell yeah. That is exactly what I need. Which version did we have of the bootleg? The bootleg was obviously the the full unrated Japanese theatrical release. So we saw everything, right? It was the whole thing, all the blood, all the, you know, the the boobs, everything. So it comes out. There were boobs in there? At least. (laughs) So it it comes, Brian's like, I skipped that part. So you must watch the edited version. No, 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 no. I, didn't, I, I did not want to be the one to say I saw well, the Chinese boots. I wanted to yeah. be the one to say. Yeah. All good. So the PG-13 version was uh, released. It, to me, it was the first one I saw um, for some reason. I think it's because that's the one that my store had gotten. So I watched that one first. Much to my dismay, very much a PG-13 cut of this film. I was like, where's the blood? Where are the boobs? What the hell's going on? Um, and then I found the unrated, air quoting for those, um, version at, I think it was Best Buy or Circuit City, one of those two, and ended up buying it there. It was, when it released, it was released for about 15 bucks, so it was really affordable. And much to my dismay, the unrated version was also cut. It was not unrated. And thus begins the long history of bastardized localizations of this movie. (laughs) Very long. It was released in 95 as two versions, one PG-13, one unrated, both both edited. But then they they did things to try and westernize it. Like they added profanity for the sake of having profanity. So the unrated version could say shit and crap and bastard, but couldn't have animated boobies because puritanical Western views. I don't know. So then in like 2004, so we are a full decade from when this film finally released localized or it originally. And we still didn't have the full version of the movie released in the United States. So it was a slightly different version of the movie. And it was included on the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox versions of Street Fighter Anniversary Collection. And when that was coming out, one of the questions anime nerds were asking was, is this the whole movie? To which Capcom's not saying a damn thing. Because if they don't say a damn thing, you got to buy it. So what did I do? You bought bought it. it. I bought it. I totally bought it. Of course I bought it. To find out it was the PG-13 version of the movie on the game. Which, as an adult... I completely understand. It made perfect sense. This is a game that 13-year-olds are going to play. You don't want their mom walking in and catching Chun-Li's titties on the TV. Going to be bad. Let's <laughs> just call spade a spade, right? So, <sighs> so here we are. It's been 2006. It's been 11, no, 12 years since it originally dropped. We finally got the full Japanese version of this film. And... It's about damn time is all I got to say. Uh, now, this isn't just, I want to be clear. This isn't just about blood or boobs. This is about the Japanese audio, which was not available to American audiences at all up until this point. 
Not easily, at least. And now, finally, 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 2016, we got the penultimate release from Discotech on Blu-ray, which has the the PG-13, the unrated, the UK unrated, the Japanese, the English with Japanese audio. Like, they did every version you could possibly want to see of this movie, finally, on Blu-ray. So props to Discotech for that one. I know that delves way out of the the 80s and 90s, but I felt like I needed to take you guys on the journey that this movie had. It is probably one of the most controversial localizations of an anime, not just because of how bad they fucked it up, but also because of what it was. Street Fighter was enormously huge and popular for them to drop the ball this hard this many times over the years. Pretty, pretty amazing. So after all that hullabaloo, was it worth it, right? Was was this even any good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so I don't have a lot of mindless musings to discuss on the, well, I'm lying, I've got pages of notes, but <laughs> I I really wanted to to ask first and foremost, obviously for the three of us, gentlemen, we first time we ever saw it, bootleg in the original Japanese, your living room fan base subtitles uh lynette your first time just this last week did you watch sub dub how'd you approach it um i essentially just clicked on it in your library and whatever it gave me is what i watched it as i wanted to see what it was set at as as a default so i got the english oh okay i'm sorry English version. <laughs> <laughs> but i still enjoyed it um you know yeah I, I saw a lot of dated things, like when uh, Guile has this serious conversation and then ends his sentence with a flex. Couldn't kind of figure out <laughs> why he had to flex his muscle, but... <laughs> oh, man. That was hardcore was late day. 80s, early 90s, period. <laughs> Guile is like a caricature of Arnold Schwarzenegger as an American Air Force agent. It's, it's something so You get Arnold and Dolph Lundgren and you just blend them together and it's Guile. <laughs> In the smallest car possible, so I didn't. Yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a Ford Mustang. Like, how big is Guile? Dude was like crushed in there. Like, no way. Hair is all smooth. <laughs> That's why it's flat because it's pressing against the top of the car. <laughs> oh man, find my notes here. I kind of wanted to uh, ask you guys a little bit about your history with the movie in Street Fighter. You played the game, obviously. I know you did. because We've all played each other in the game. This movie, with its its animation, it really did just kind of change everything for us. Do you feel like this anime is responsible for the fighting game anime boom of the 90s? Or do you think that distinction goes to somebody who came before them, like, say, Fatal Fury? That's a good question, because like Masami Obari's designs in Fatal Fury, I think, sold it. But at the same time, they were the the animation itself. The the anime itself was a little cheesy, to say the least. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Street Fighter took itself seriously. Are we saying are we asking whether or not this movie for all the video games that's been made, the animes are made out of this one? But this one, the, the kickoff to it, 
Yeah, because this was tremendously successful in Japan. Over here, it didn't even get a theatrical release. But in Japan, it was tremendously successful. It came in, I think, at number five for the year over there or something like that. Some, I'll have to check. But so it was, it was a huge hit. But it wasn't long after that. So before it, there was Fatal Fury 1, 2, and then the movie. The movie came out like a month or two before Street Fighter 2 did. And then after that, for a good decade, it was anime after anime after anime after anime. It's like anime studios were grappling to get their hands on some kind of fighting game license. I, I made a full list. I'm not going to go through it, but I'm going to give you a couple. Like Samurai Showdown, that came out later that year. Uh, Street Fighter 2 V, the series, that came out the following year. Virtual Fighter, Ballerina Toshinden, Voltage Fighter Gokaiser, Night Stalker, or uh, Dark Stalkers, Night Warriors, Tekken, Psychic Force, Power Stone. So, like everybody wanted their fighting game made into an anime, and everybody was making fighting game anime. And I guess I want to say, I feel like, like this set that in motion. I think we got a. Two things we gotta possibly discuss it is that we basically combined two of Japan's basic, biggest exports, other than talking about anime and video games. It's a perfect merger for them to say, we're gonna put them both together and go from there, you know? But um, it was a match made in heaven for, for them to do that, you know? Yeah. Even even the how cool would it have been to say, hey, we had even had the video game animators. They're the ones who are doing the principal drawings on these movies. Yeah, and I think that's the case for a lot of these. I know that definitely for some of the marketing material stuff. It I think this was animated by Madhouse, or at least partially. Cause I, I seem to remember them being miscredited in the American release as Mudhouse. <laughs> Let's see. Um, but yeah, man, so this opening sequence, the stormy battle with Sagat, and the first time we watched this, I didn't know until he got scarred that we were looking at SF1 because everybody looked like adult. And I think it was, I think it was at that point that it was like, oh, this is the end of Street Fighter 1 is what we're watching. He's getting his ass whipped. And then it cuts into the epic title sequence with the guitar roaring and all that. And then it moves into the story. Now... One of the hardest things to do with an anime, even harder with an anime based on a video game, is dealing with a cast this size. Now, Vic, you'd mentioned before, it was there's eight world warriors, an additional four boss characters. And an additional four more characters. And by the time right. this movie came out, you could tell like the five last characters, so the super turbo characters, super and super turbo characters literally had seconds on screen. Right. With the exception of Cammy. Fei Long. Long long. Long. He got a whole fight scene. And, right. and, and T-Hawk. Yeah, T-Hawk, T-Hawk, yeah. T-Hawk. So, fun fact, Brian Cranston is the voice of Fei Long in the English dub. Mr. Breaking Bad himself. <sighs> yeah, I, I was, he was operating under a pseudonym, but he's the same voice actor that did Isamu from Super Dimension Fortress Macross Plus. Well, it wasn't Super Dimension Fortress, but Macross Plus. So, One more yeah. question. Uh, yeah. More statement. You mentioned the intro to yeah. Street Fighter. Yeah. And I thought that that intro kind of reminded me about the same intro that you had to the video game, where it was 
it's dark, and then you start seeing flashes of Ryu. Flashing, he comes in, yeah, full character, and the last thing he does is Hadouken. Yeah, a hundred percent. That absolutely is what influenced that. And what's notable about this anime is that this is an anime created based on a video game. And then Capcom was like, holy shit, this made gangbusters. We're going to make video games based on this anime. So they went full circle with it. So after Street Fighter 2 came out, then we got Street Fighter Alpha, which took character designs and story elements from this anime and translated them into a video game. So it's, just, it's the full meta circle is the Ouroboros of, of Street Fighter here. <laughs> They're just coming back in on themselves. Well, there was also the Japanese uh, specific Street Fighter, the animated movie, the game. Yeah, that's which right. Which was, eh, it had a fighting element to it, but that's, it was very small. But you could fight the freaking bison robot thing. Now, the discotheque release has all the cutscenes on it from that game. Mm-hmm. Included, so that was that was kind of cool. Got to see his own cyborg fight him, like reused a bunch of the animation, and then just kind of like superimposed the cyborg over the characters. So, but it looked cool. Uh, man, God. all right. So, uh, I hate this dub. I hate this dub so very much. Um, it's not for any one thing. It's for a lot of things. So, Lynette, I. I encourage you to come back and watch this in Japanese if you can stomach the machismo. It's the way that they say Shoryuken. They say Shoryuken, like they're oh, fighting yeah. a kangaroo. They say Shoryuken. It drives me crazy. And they added in a whole bunch of swear words for no damn reason. Like They try to be edgy. Just no damn reason. And, and then they... Oh, you I, fucking talk like that. Right. What they think they are. But like, okay. <laughs> there's there's a sophistication to being a megalomaniac. And that's what Bison is. A megalomaniac wants to take over the world, but he's dropping F-bombs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I like my Bond villains with a little sophistication here. And it's just, it's very thuggish. And I'm like, come on, That's man. not the way Raul Julia played him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, right? At the end of the credits to this anime was a title card advertising the release of the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme and Raul Lulia. Which never should have been made. No, I it, agree. You know I, I, I have no idea why I wasted so much money watching it two or three times in theaters. <laughs> it's so bad, it's good. Like, if you haven't watched it in a long time, it's funny. It's not that supposed to be. live action one? Yeah, yeah, it's not supposed to be, yeah, but it's... Damn I funny. I think the first time I've seen a movie with a fighting movie like that from a game. And, and I am, that, I am like, like, sorry. Like, just remember, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so bad, the only thing that tops it is Dragon Ball's movie. Oh, man. I, oh, did, did you see? see that's bad. <laughs> but did you see? Okay, I don't want to devolve into slamming video game movies, but we kind of have to slam a couple of them here. Uh, Double Dragon was a movie came out in the 90s. That was a shit show. But with Mark DeCostos, though. Yes, Mark DeCostos. Love the man. Fantastic martial artist. It was a terrible movie. Um, yeah, Super Mario was horrible. Super Mario Bros. had come out. So, so you know, this it, it in the 90s, it, it became apparent that anime was the only format that could possibly handle 
fighting games. Right. Because video games as a movie in general for our entire lives have sucked. A handful of possible exceptions. And the thing about it is that there were just huge in the 90s like, you know what? I understand this is the source material, but I think I know better. <laughs> you still have that now. 100%. Yeah. I give I give credit to to the writers and the directors of Street Fighter 2 movie because they they were very brave. Uh, despite the fact that Capcom was like, listen, we need every character in this movie. And you know that's what they did. Because um, they did it for the live action, too. They said, every character. So they still decided to, in making this, they said, no, we're going to focus the plot. So rather than try and shoehorn in as many characters as possible, give them all speaking parts and give them, try and create all this backstory for everybody, they decided to focus the story on their hero, Ryu and Ken. Right, because their dynamic, their relationship it, from Street Fighter One all through Street Fighter Two, made the most sense to follow the story of. So I give them credit, but then also being smart enough to know that some of their most popular characters, Chun Li, Guile, like they needed more fleshing out too. So they were very intelligent in how they handled it. Uh, probably pissed off a couple fans. Whoever is like a huge DJ fan, that one guy, he was probably pretty pissed. DJ was only in it for like a second, but but I mean, like everybody else, but he was there. He was there. He had a line. <laughs> he threw a kick or two. You know, it's so yeah. Whereas Akuma just sat on the wall, <laughs> much to Akuma's this dismay. Akuma. <laughs> Akuma's handing out fruit in Calcutta, so you know. Like, like, why are these, why are these <laughs> robots not see? He's right there, right? Guy who you're looking for? Yeah, you walk down the they street and you see a dude with spiky red hair and muscles as big as a barbarian brother, and you're not gonna go. This dude probably can fuck people They're up. Fine. I should check him out. <laughs> no, they knew better. They just stayed away. You're like, you know, they, they in my head are like, no, we checked his power level. He's probably beat the boss, so we're not going to get him. <laughs> Let's not bring him up. Let's no. not do that. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's... I, I, some characters are horribly underused. Sagat, horribly underused. They gave him a time to shine at the beginning uh, in his end of Street Fighter 1 kind of thing. Cool. Cammy was horribly underused, and she was very popular as a character. Uh, so, the movie's not without its faults, but it's also arguably the best video game anime adaptation still to this easily day. right easily and and maybe we'll have to we'll use this as a litmus test for how to rate to street fighter <laughs> honestly this is this is my litmus so street fighter 2 has been my litmus test for decades now every time something comes out i think am i going to enjoy this as much as i did street fighter 2 yeah, I think as far as fighting games go, fighting game anime titles go, for sure. Yeah, I don't... Overall, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going to get you on the record for something. Which movie do you prefer? Street Fighter 2? Yeah, you can only take one movie. Either Street Fighter 2 or Akira. <laughs> Akira is the better movie overall, but that's overall. Now we're talking about specifically fighting games. Street Fighter is the better movie. No, no, no. Which again? You can only take one movie. One one on one. Away. Akira versus uh, Street Fighter. Akira is arguably the better movie. 
Lynette, you have two cents on this one? Uh, I saw Akira first, so yeah, I'd be leaning more towards that. Um, but I will have Oh, and Brian's opinion doesn't matter if he hasn't seen the movie yet, hasn't finished it yet. <laughs> I haven't finished the movie. Get it right, I haven't finished the movie. I'm going to come in with a hot take on this. I'm going to say Street Fighter 2. I'm going to, if I can only watch one, it's going to be Street Fighter 2. And the reason why is because while Akira is better animated, uh, while Akira is, uh, the production value is higher, the storyline is a little less coherent. And honestly, I like movies that are fun. I like to have a good time. When I'm watching a movie, I want to escape from feeling bad about everything going on, right? And and Street Fighter is just dumb fun. It's a bunch of guys with muscles way bigger than they should humanly have flexing and being all machismo and beating the shit out of each other and i'm in for that like i think that that's i don't know it's i i feel that way about live action movies too though right like some of my favorite movies are not heavy thinking pieces like i love thor ragnarok because it's just dumb fun i was right. i enjoy the hell out of that one. movie is it the best Marvel movie? No, but it's probably my favorite just because I have so much fun watching it. And as long as I have fun watching a movie, I'll watch it over and over and over again. And Street Fighter 2 is that. Except when it's not. Like, what is the deal with these long ass shots of people not doing shit? There's this long ass shot of Bison and his three minions walking. Right, the, the, the plane comes in, it lands, it's them getting out of the plane, it's them walking through a hall, it's them taking an elevator, it's them walking down another hall, it's people getting out the way, like, oh shit. But that's like a good two minutes. <laughs> Just them but look, walking. you know, seriously, that reminded me of um, uh, Return of the Jedi. The whole landing, the, it felt like it was like the whole Death Star. Right. Part when it, Everybody come out. They come out just to get out the way. They came. Everybody stopped <laughs> what they were doing to walk into the hallway. I mean, into the hangar just to get out of the way. What was the purpose? And I, I get that they were um, trying to establish the scale of his operation. Okay. I feel like they could establish that in less than. Hell, when, when after he whips Phalong's ass, <laughs> right? Now, mind you, he'd already fractured his foot and broke his arm. Yep. And what's the first thing they showed them doing? Walking. Walking out. <laughs> and well, then, then, he, then he cuts left for no, without saying anything. He just cuts left, cuts left, and then we start like a montage of him walking in the wind and in the sand, traveling thousands of miles to who knows where. After walking but, from Hong Kong to Calcutta. Dude, <laughs> why is my dude without shoes? For all this stuff. So I do know the answer to this, actually. I, I I thought, I didn't look for it, I stumbled onto it, was that the, the creators of the movie wanted the characters to be as representative of themselves in the game as possible. So they actually started with the concept of, of Ryu changing clothes, and they said, no, no, this is how people see him, this is how people need to see him, regardless. So the only character that got costume changes was Ken. And that was apparently a conversation that had to happen for, you know, the- Wait, technically Chun-Li did too. Did she? Oh, well, yes. pajamas. She, she went from wearing- it's Still a change. By the way, is another comment about this that is, that is just, it's so anime. 
all the characters are in costume all the time. Like, no one at Interpol cares that their top Asian is dressed in traditional Chinese dress the entire time she's fighting crime. Nobody cared. <laughs> that's, and that goes for everybody in this anime, except for Ken, who gets to wear really mismatched outfits. I'm not a fashionista, I don't know. It's just, I see a hoodie and shorts, and I'm thinking, is it cold or not? I don't know, Ken. He hops in a Porsche. <laughs> that was the most beautiful. Look, that was the most beautiful Seattle I've ever seen in my life. Seattle looked like he was in Hawaii. I was like, yes, yes, it was. It was. Um, this whole damn movie's beautiful, though, right? Like, and not in an ironic way. Like, it's just really pretty. Yeah, pretty much any still from the movie just works. Even Calcutta, which is arguably the shittiest place in the whole movie, still looked pretty damn good. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know. It's so, it, that's a testament to the animation team, really. They, they really did just deliver on this. And you could tell that their money and love went into the project. I, it's like, I, I, I keep on thinking about Shadow Moon. Right? <laughs> or is it Shadow Law? Shadow Law. It's Shadowloo, Shadowlaw. So I keep on thinking about them as an organization. And let's say based on all the evil henchmen hideout headquarters that they possibly could have had. A mountain where you have (laughs) giant ass face. A face that's been carved on. And really, that had no other purpose other than to open or close. It didn't have no other defenses on it. Nobody put anti-aircraft in there. Because guess what? At the end of the movie, they just saw <laughs> a whole bunch of planes come over and blow the bitch up. So you need to tell me, the only thing you did was made a big-ass door. That's that's how a megalomaniac works, right? That's why, to me, Bison is like a Bond villain, right? Because what is the most vain thing? Is like, my gate will be a giant head 25 stories high, and I'm going to park my VTOL aircraft in it. Like, that's just <laughs> that's the most then, Bond look, villain look, thing ever. And that's the thing. It's 25 stories high, and then you get to see how massive it is. <laughs> like it's on the top of the mountain and then you see I'm like bruh come on <laughs> and he his operation is so big that he can he can finance all of these things nobody know, we don't know where Bison's money comes from he just and can no finance this to the location <laughs> yeah nobody can find him either no. he's got a place big enough to house probably tens of thousands of staff and he <laughs> So I, this is a real. This is He's a real. A villain. So I was watching. Well, it was something recent, and they were talking about, um, like how drugs are moved, like from. It was Lindsey Graham, and Lindsey Graham. This is a, this is a huge, a huge rabbit hole. But I got to get in this part. All right, go ahead. Lindsey Graham was making a, a statement talking about how uh, drugs are moving from Afghanistan. And we have drugs and oxytocin and, and, uh, and heroin that's being moved from Afghanistan and eventually making its way up into Europe. And how it does that. And the amount that they were moving 
with like half a ton. Half a ton. Okay. About a thousand okay. pounds. Right. This movie, they're moving five tons of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, clearly, if you have psycho power, you can, you know, control these things. I feel like, so that's why I, I say Bison's a Bond villain, right? Because the ludicrousness of his establishment, and also the fact that he's somehow, despite dressing literally like a dictator, can, has control of all these, like, obviously, he's controlling intergovernment agencies, and he's controlling, like, he's, yeah, his party with all these really affluent people pouring champagne on women's legs and shit. Like there's clearly a lot of powerful people at this thing who don't know how to drink apparently, but that's right. Like, so I think that's all supposed to establish his bond villain status, which come on, it's what he is. And did you, and now Lynette, you saw it in English. So did you catch, I don't know. I don't know. It's the stupidest Easter egg ever. How one guy introduces his partner as Mr. Beavis. No, I didn't but I missed it. So when they're in Las Vegas and they're talking and I just, all right, I'm, I'm going to uh, come clean. I didn't just watch this movie. I watched this movie three times before mm. we recorded. So I watched it. Oh, wow. the PG, I watched the PG 13 cut. I watched the UK unrated cut and then I watched it in Japanese. So, cause I, I really wanted to have my homework done for this because this I'm very passionate about street fighter too. So in the English versions, there's, audible dialogue uh, between all the people at the Vegas casino right. event. And one of them introduces his business partner as Mr. Beavis. I don't know if that was just a nineties, like a really shitty nineties reference to Beavis and Butthead. Why? I just, <laughs> why? That's all I want to know is why it's, I, there's so a many things. I just been... wanted to sneak it in. <sighs> Man, this, I hate this dub. It's just, I hate this dub. Uh, and and again, it's this is another thing that they did in the in the damn dub is Shadow Law versus Shadow Lou. In the English dub, they call it the Shadow Law, and in the Japanese version, it's Shadow Lou. That's just the whole organization, Shadow Lou. And maybe they did that because the American release referred to the country as Shadow Lou, so they you know of, of the the live action movie they made the country Shadow Lou, and so they decided they're going to just roll with it and call it Shadow Law. I don't know. They could even boil down to the fact that they, you know, they had different names for the three of the bosses between, you know, Japan and the U.S. To the point that it still torments uh, tournaments today and they just call them by their nicknames. Yeah. So now that's that's worth mentioning. I know it's a game thing, but I mean, yeah. So in Japan, uh, Vega, Balrog and Bison are the names are attributed <laughs> to different characters. So it, we, you know, a lot of people refer to them as claw, boxer, and dictator to differentiate. So you don't have to care which, because Balrog is Bison and Vega is Balrog and Bison. Anyway, so there you go. I didn't know how to go. <laughs> All right, Vic can break it down for you. <laughs> go ahead, Vic. What, what did he ask? <laughs> he wants to know how it breaks down. The name. What the name? The names. So, yeah. M Bison in Japan is Balrog in the U.S. Vega in the U.S. is uh crap. Vega in the U.S. is Balrog in Japan. 
And Balrog in the U.S. is M. Bison in Japan. Brian's Brian's brain is breaking. All right. The claw guy from Spain, the, the blonde Spaniard who's bloodlusty, in Japan is Balrog. But in America, we call him Vega. Kind of makes sense. Pretty intelligent move. Um, in Japan, the dictator guy with the Bond villain status is Vega. And in America, we call him M. Bison. And in Japan... The boxer is named M. Bison, an obvious play at Mike Tyson. So they brought him over. They switched the names around so they could call him Balrog. And then everything else just kind of fell into place. One. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I think we got that cleared up now, right? Okay. So now we're never going to mention these guys by name again. Um <laughs> One more thing. Somebody else did have a, 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 a wardrobe change. Who? Oh, yeah, straight up. You're right. I mean, he still doesn't wear shirts because, man, if I had that many muscles, I wouldn't wear shirts either. But he did go from his Muay Thai shorts to, to like, military like, yeah, so cambos. Who, what size shoe was that, is my question. It's like 25, I think. He, 25 wide. So, <laughs> actually, it's, you know, one of the things I, I love about animation is is when animators do things with characters that maybe people don't notice. And they did something with Sagat, which was really cool. It's so subtle, but I loved it. And it's when when M. Bison, again, we're talking dictator, is watching video, like, uh, which, all right, let me set this up. So Bison's in his plane and he's flying and he gets a video call from his little bald psycho doctor guy. And he's like, we've collected footage you should see. So then he's like, I'm on my way. So then he turns the plane around, goes back to his giant head base to go back to his big fancy swivel chair to look at a bigger TV so the guy can video chat with him. And then have the nerd to say, I've been expecting you. Just letting this sink in. <laughs> he was on a video call, turned his plane around, went to a bigger TV because he just needed a bigger TV for this experience. So then, not with that, not nothing. Uh, turn the fucking plane around and walk three miles back to my fucking chair. Anyway, he gets there and they pull up the footage of Ken and Ken's doing the Shoryuken thing on T-Hawk and they're like, we've compared his data to Ryu, right? And then they pull up footage of Ryu and Sagat gets frustrated. Like he, he like visibly tenses up his muscles and he like shifts and like he's uncomfortable. And it's so subtle. And I love when animation does this shit because I bet none of y'all even noticed that. Like he's, he's not even all the way in the frame. It's just half of him. And he's, he's, his muscles tense up and he shifts his weight like he's just pissed that Ryu's even on the TV. Well, that's because I, I can tell you why he's pissed. Because in the first <laughs> of that, um, Dictator is asking about Ryu and with Sagan behind him, he's... <laughs> man who can get the crap out of Saggy. That's yeah. the guy I want. So Saggy knows <laughs> yeah. he's out of a fucking job. And it's <laughs> literally footage of him losing to Ryu. So the fact that an animator, like this is so easy to be lazy about as an animator. You can take, you can just have that character just stand there. Animation, especially Japanese animation, is notorious for just reusing the same frame as long as humanly possible. How many times have you seen, you know, Goku and is just the mouth movement, right? And the whole rest of them is just standing still. They didn't have to animate him, but they did. And they, they showed his body language 
get visibly upset at watching himself lose to Ryu. And I love it. I love when animation does that. And they do that a bunch in this. I love when they they take time to give life to characters that ordinarily aren't even noticed by other people on screen. And, and, and they do it a bunch in this. That's just one time that I, I legit saw it and thought, this is great. Um, so I, I wanted to give it a shout out. It felt so natural to me. I didn't even see it as important. Yeah. That's when I saw it. I I, I can see your point, especially when we're talking about Goku and and all the other reused footage. Like, how often do you see somebody when they're speeding, their body's doing nothing? You just see movement behind them, but they're not really changing their their action. So, you see that a lot. But when we're talking about it in with Sagat, give us another example, oh, great animator. There's just there's a lot of that sort of thing, right? So this whole anime is is definitely a, a it's a story of Ryu, arguably the most boring main character to grace anime at that time. Um, let's be honest. Tell me a fun fact about Ryu. Anyone? He likes to walk everywhere. <laughs> His red handband switches between red and black as he walks. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good at dodging semis. What, what, Brian? He, he gives milk. He gives milk, milk to the poor. Ryu is boring. He's boring. The only reason Ryu is interesting is because everybody else wants to kick his ass. That's it. Ken exists to make Ryu interesting. Right? It is only through, because Ken is his equal and wants to challenge his best friend that Ryu becomes interesting. Ryu is I is the most boring character because he's a, he's a main character and in main characters of video games you're supposed to be able to project yourself under the main character so they made him just vanilla. He doesn't they they try to dress him up in other anime later on, but in this he's still a video game character. So he's still boring. He spends 30 minutes sweating and just to yeah. jump and punch the air. That's what he does. I was waiting right? for something really intense. Like he's very focused. <laughs> like I'm watching the anime and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's gonna do some really cool moves, and I'm gonna this see gonna why great. he's awesome. No. And all he does is go, and I'm like, really? Sure. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, can't even really say his own move. Right? <laughs> so, to comment, uh, circling back to what you asked me, Brian, there are moments whenever Kenton is thinking about Ryu that his body language gets more intense because it's like he is obsessed with being able to beat his rival, his friend. A love song. Yes, or there's the other theory. I'm going to hypot. I'm going to say it now. All right. Does this let, before we get I'll get I'm going to do my final thoughts. Does this movie hold up? Now, Lynette, this is your first time, so I'm going to make you go last because because these guys have been watching this shit for 30 years. Brian, does this movie hold up? Yes, I, I, I would say there. Yeah, I would say yes. Um, and I think it holds up because of a lot of the things they do period-wise. And they don't, the only technological marvel you hear is from Shadow Law when we're talking about the plane or we're talking about the cyborg. 
But everything else that they have over here, even down to the Mustang, is a vintage Mustang. The car that drives, that picks up uh, Cammy, like him, Chung Lee, and takes him to the airport where they see Gao get off out of the F-16, all of that is period for the time that, that, that was happening. So I'm able to look at it with the same... It's not like they said in the future or like when, when we were dealing with Akira where Akira says, okay, it's not 2022 and we're looking at Akira now to then we're like, none of this shit's like this. They kept it in that time and that's why I was able to stay in there. The same way I can look at Top Gun and watch Top Gun and say, you know what, this shit still holds up because they didn't try to make it more or, or, or bring it forward. They just kept it there and and that's why I feel holds up. I dig it. I get it. Yeah, I I agree. I think that because if you approach it from a vintage standpoint, then it feels like you can revisit it. I it's ironic because we're not covering it, but Street Fighter Alpha, the anime, takes place before Street Fighter Two would have taken place. But in that anime, they use cell phones. We'll get to that when we finally review that anime, but it's worth it's just I was thinking of that as you were talking about the eras. Uh, Vic, Vic, do you do you think Street Fighter 2 still holds up? I do, and I'll I actually agree with Brian. It's a great period piece for the time. I mean, you know, it you know, being released in 94, it was very accurate to 94 visually. Um and well, as someone that owns, no joke, over 20 or 30 versions of Street Fighter 2, I'm always up to watch the movie. If it's on, I'm watching it, regardless. Now, yes, I would rather watch the Japanese version as opposed to the US or UK dubs, but it is what it is. If it's on, it's getting watched. So, Lynette, this was your first experience with the 1994 Street Fighter 2. How do you feel it holds up under a modern lens? Because you came at it so fresh. I think it's very. I think it's very enjoyable. I liked it. I I I don't re- recall ever sitting in front of a, a the the opening scene and going, I didn't know you could score a deltoid like that. You know, <laughs> putting like all yeah. the muscles and the numbers. And the- what is leadership? <laughs> abs have abs like he's like yeah like you know and then and then seeing it's like fighting score 3400 or whatever and i'm like oh well it's not over 9000 so that's okay (laughs) and then (laughs) (laughs) yes you know but being able to do that i get to see kind of like flashbacks of how i saw video games or like watching dragon ball and then seeing that and, and knowing that i'm looking at this and Seeing that, oh, over 9,000 and, and going, maybe I wouldn't have seen these kind of things if I didn't see the video games first. Yeah, you yeah, I, I agree. I think that you definitely, to watch this as a, alone, as an anime, would be doing it a disservice, right? Like, you you have to have at least had a rudimentary knowledge of what Street Fighter Two was going in. I, I don't think that it can stand on its own. I feel like it's a companion piece to the game. Agreed, 100%. Uh, I wouldn't like to say something since you brought up uh, Street Fighter Alpha. 
Yeah. My favorite part of the movie will come from when they recreated it in Street Fighter Alpha. Were you able to do Ken and Ryu versus M. Bison? Yeah. Hell yeah, man. That's probably my favorite game mode in Street Fighter, period. Um, I remember getting our ass <laughs> You remember beat him first, right? Yeah, was it? I don't remember. So you, oh, you know you remember better. It was us? Yeah, it was. Nice. He, dude, Bison is a beast in that mode. So here we, here's my take on this. Well, yeah, all right, here's my take on this. I loved this in the 90s when I watched it. I still love it to this day. But my thoughts on what it is are a little different. I think... I think this movie's a love story. I think this movie is a love story between Ken and Ryu. I think Ken, this whole movie is pining after the man he loves. And at the end of the climax, he's fighting to save the man he loves from being killed. And it's his love of Ryu that gets him to break from Bison's psycho power hold on him. It's ludicrous to think about now because in the 90s, all the machismo and all that, like it wasn't like you couldn't have pulled it off. But if you watch it now in Japanese with the music and the lyrics and the whole, this is a love story between two men desperate to rekindle their romance that they must have had, you know, as teenagers, Dallas, you know, whatever. And that's that's how I see it now. I get Ken has a girlfriend. Ken can be bi. I'm not putting labels on anything. Ken has a son. In the in games, he has Mel. My thought is, maybe they were afraid of it being gay. So they made Ken be the nuclear family to like combat that interpretation of the content. Well, I have to say, their, their, their training sessions, there was a lot of chemistry there. I mean, he rubbed his head when he bled. He right? Like, there's, like, there's a lot of, a lot of you that. Know? So I, I, and it doesn't make the film any less enjoyable for me. It's still one of my favorites. It's just now I see it in this whole new light. And I see it as like, these two guys, just best friends, but they're closeted lovers. Like, they were in love very much. I think this is my, my recent, in my recent viewing, that's what I got out of it. Now, I don't oh, know if that's God. just my interpretation of the material, but it seems it reads hard. And and look, anime, and you can argue with this me argue this with me. Anime was responsible for us being far more open-minded than our parents. Because anime introduced homosexual characters, interracial relationships. It introduced transgender, cross-dressing. It introduced the full spectrum of LGBTQ was shown to us in anime in the 70s, in the 80s and 90s. All that shit was there. Lancer dressed as a woman, Yakimo and 3x3s as a job, cross-dressing, like it's, Mosh and Macross 2 was flaming homosexual. Like there's just, they weren't afraid for a country that's so conservative about, you know, the status and whatnot, they were not afraid in anime to put everything out there. And I think that they were trying to do that with this too. 
Oh, God, if people could just see me. I was laughing almost the entire time because that one episode of Scrubs, you know, where JD and Turk are singing, it's guy love to each other. It was it's just that's guy all love. that came to mind. Absolutely guy love. That's what this is. And, and I... I think that... Uh, 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 let's say this is true, right? It's a love because story. Because it is. Call it a love story. I think we can call it unrequited love. I think you can say that Ted was in love with Ryu, but Ryu was searching for somebody else. Ryu was searching for the fight. He was loving the fight. Unavailable. He was. He, Ryu is definitely the anime trope of I need to be the very best, right? I'm. I'm always seeking the challenge. You know. When we found out which was the one that did it, Ryu. Yeah, I feel like I mean I don't know that he was the first, but. I, he's definitely one of the first that I can recall specifically. Like if there's what is Ryu's entire purpose to find the next fight, right? That's because as I established earlier, no character, this man has no character development. He has almost no personality short of being really nice to Calcutta and children. He's got nothing. All he wants to do is beat the shit out of people. That's all he's got. So yeah, unrequited maybe, but maybe it's because I don't know. He never gave Ken he a chance. He didn't have a lot know. of speaking parts either. If I remember correctly. No, Throughout the whole movie, he probably had like just a few. Just like a handful. All, he talked mo- the most at the end. Yeah, when he's trying to save Ken. Yeah, like any other time he was just like, here, have some money. I'm sorry, <laughs> I bumped into you. <laughs> yeah, like E Honda. E Honda's got a wad of cash, and he's like, "Here, have some money." And Ryu's just like saying nothing. He's like, E Honda just don't shut up. He's like, "No, because we're Japanese, man. Have some money." And Ryu's just nothing. <laughs> so you remember we we were talking about this with Food Wars, and we said that in Food Wars they had this whole thing where. uh they made a, a, a whole region, Texas, because they were doing the whole, their, their country. So they gave them a whole dialect, right? Right. The second time, well, the first time I would have seen that would have been with E. Honda. Because <laughs> he's specifically calling out and he seemed to have this yeah. almost southern draw to his. <laughs> yeah. I'll, it's definitely. Was it Japanese or Bravado? Copper Brothers! <laughs> yes. I hate this dub. All right. So, yes, that's absolutely right. And that's, oh, man. I think it's cute that everybody has a six pack. Sick? They got like even, a 12 pack. They got a case. Even, <laughs> even Honda, the sumo wrestler, he had a six pack going on. Oh, hell yeah. Six packs had 12 packs. He yeah, Honda Honda's like Honda is the physical embodiment of what every sumo wishes he looked like, right? Because he's like thick as hell, but still cut. Like that's even feasible. Four hundred pounds of pure muscle. <laughs> yeah, like he was all chiseled, and I was yeah. like, what? He was like he kingpin, but and and everybody in this movie's thick. Everybody. Dalsum mm. in Street Fighter 2, Dalsum looks like an anorexic dude. Like, he's just barely hanging on to life. And in this movie, the guy's got shoulders for miles. Like, <laughs> just... 
broad. But that's, you know, that that kind of just happened with the games overall, right? They got more super heroic like like the influence of what because let's be honest western culture influenced street fighter tremendously and as big as street fighter was in japan when it blew up in america it changed like street fighters like as a product had to become something else uh because americans were eating that shit up well we enjoyed beating each other up just couldn't do it physically hell yeah so do you have a favorite character in this anime? Vic? Well, since we both know Hanakuma main in SF2, and he is in the movie, so... You're, you're picking Akuma? I mean, sure, he just sat there. <laughs> but I'm he had okay a lot with of that. A lot of character development in this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lynette, do you want to go? Yeah, I'm going to do... I'm going to have to say, I, I always fought with her, uh, Chun-Li. Yeah. I am very happy that in the anime they did not give her monster thighs like they do <laughs> in the game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I pick her and I'm like, oh, your thighs are... I don't think that's anatomically possible. <laughs> have tiny feet and these huge thighs. I'm just really glad they didn't do that in the anime. But yeah, she's always yeah. been my favorite. And when she did her signature kick, even though you didn't get to see the kick... Yeah, was, you saw I the was, effects of it. Like, yeah, I saw the effects of it. So I was really geeking out about that. Yeah, I I really liked Chun Li's character in this because she was obviously on a mission, obviously you know a successful martial artist and all these things, but she was still fun. Like she was still pleasant, mm -hmm. and she still like when she had to throw down, she threw down against one of the toughest people in the whole damn game. Like. The claw, Vega, like just that. That whole fight, damn, damn, that whole fight. That fight is great, and it's great in English and it's great in Japanese. What's funny is the the <laughs> weight of the weight of the uh, the battle. It feels differently depending on which version you watch, right? In the English dub, they have this really fast, amped up, rocky soundtrack. I can't remember which song it is. Um. And it's it's the intensity of it. You, you feel the intensity of that fight. And in Japanese, the song track of choice is this like deep emotional ballad. So go. the fight feels slower, but it feels more impactful. Like she's legitimately fighting for her life. Like she could die right now because the music is just belting out feels like that. So it's it's neat to have watched both and to get a different feeling from either one of those. Obviously, the intensity being ramped up with the music and everything in the English felt really great, but feeling concerned for her yeah. in the Japanese one was also impactful. And and they kind of did that a few times in this. So credit to them. Um, I will say that I guess I probably like the songs in the English dub better, but I like the score from the Japanese movie better. That's, I can agree with that. I mean, yeah, the soundtrack in the U.S. version was actually the kind of music I listened to at the time. But personally, I mean, with very, very few exceptions, I rather have the Japanese soundtrack altogether. Yeah, I think if I could only pick one, 
I only will watch in Japanese. This is one of those instances where I'm, and I'm, again, I, I lean towards subs generally anyway, but, but this is one where I have to insist, like, we should be watched in Japanese, because I hate this fucking dub, in case I haven't made that clear by now. I will add that to my list. But more importantly, Rick, did you like the dub? You know, it wasn't that bad, Vic. It was all right. I mean, you know. <laughs> Talk about the dub. As somebody who has to listen to subtitles, read subtitles, the dub to the subtitles is horrendous. <laughs> yeah, no. They did that thing where when they localized it, they localized it. They're like, we're just changing all this to fit our narrative, how we want it to sound. I, it's almost like when they dubbed it, they said, you know, this isn't macho enough. We need to dial up the machismo. We need to just, the male toxicity has to go to 11. Like, do you Let's see how big everyone is? We need to inject steroids into it. Yeah, and if to me, that's how the dub reads. The dub feels like 12 beers in macho bullshit kind of thing. That, that's my opinion. The Japanese character actors, the Japanese voices, feel softer not weaker just gentler like they're not roiding <laughs> they're not out to just end your life like they're in it for the purity of battle or whatever the fuck you want to say but there's something about that that when they brought it over they got every gravelly voiced actor they could hire to voice these characters and try and make the dial up their dialogue to make them sound like i don't know but of course my favorite character, Ken. Ken. He 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 got the character development that they were looking for and trying to give to Ryu. A hundred percent, absolutely. I I'm not saying this as a Ken player, even though he is my main. It's that he got the most development. He had a legitimate arc, and it had a beginning and an ending. He had conflict. Go ahead. Sorry. So, do you think this would have been an even better movie if it was Ryu that was captured and Rit and Ken had to, not being as strong as him, still come and save him? Oh, fuck yeah. Absolutely. I think that's I, what should have went. I think that if they'd have gone that route with the story, they would have had an even more powerful arc for Ken. It's, but they had to give Ryu something to do in this movie. They had to. He had jack shit. He was punching air on Pride Rock for 25 minutes. Right? I mean, he's been the main character since SF1. Absolutely. And you couldn't even get to Ken unless you were player two. Right. And because Ken has probably the most dominant arc in this movie, I forgive him having horrible arcs in every other Street Fighter anime afterwards. Because they really do him dirty in every single one of them. Um, Especially the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Brian. Ken is, Ken is my favorite character as well in this. I, I feel like he and Chun-Li probably had the most to do. Like, even Guile was window dressing. Guile was just there to collect Chun-Li's broken body and take her to a hospital. And then flex at the end. You say window dressing. It's like Guile is the guy <laughs> holding the window. <laughs> he served no purpose. He couldn't even pull... Our, one thing I give this, I'm glad they used most of their signature moves. Most of the characters got to pull off some of their signature moves, and that was really great, and they're animated. so cool. Um, and I liked that they were 
restrictive about how they use them. Like Guile didn't spam Sonic Booms the whole movie. I, I, I'm with that. Because like in Fatal Fury, comparatively, because it came out the month before, in Fatal Fury, they use their their special moves the whole damn movie. They don't even have, they don't throw a regular punch. Nobody just comes into a Fatal Fury fight like, let's do some fisticuffs. It's like, they come out, burn knuckle! Like, they don't give a damn. Right? You're walking into a Buster Wolf at the beginning. And every time is a horribly ineffective move. So special moves in Fatal Fury, why fucking bother? Special moves in Street Fighter, they do shit. Like... When they land a Shoryuken, somebody's going down every time. Except for when Ryu's punched in the air. Every other time they deliver it, somebody gets knocked the fuck out. Hadouken, less so. But, like, Guile, Guile miffed. He didn't, he used both of his big special moves and not one of them connected. He could not succeed in this movie at all. Couldn't save Chun-Li, couldn't pull off a flash kick, couldn't land a sonic boom, couldn't fight Bison. Couldn't avenge Charlie. Nothing. He was window dressing. It was the <laughs> hair. The hair ruined him. It did God. I, I know nobody would say God was their favorite. Nobody. <laughs> no, no, no. I, but he was. Uh, he was never like I never mained him either. I liked his story in the game, and I. They could have used that more. I mean, they did in the live action, and look how that ended up. But yeah, man, he he did get he got shafted on this one. Cammy's story was could have been great, but they didn't use it because they couldn't, right? They were more focused. Cammy had come out like the six months before. They were probably well into animating this when they were like, oh, you need to include Cammy. And the animator's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I think overall that's, that's the best. Yeah, Ken was the best story arc in this. And Chun Li following that, except she's a little bitch at the end when she was fucking with Guile pretending to be dead. Screw her. It's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so we've run pretty close to the hour here on this i just i want to turn it over to you guys is there anything you want to say final thoughts wise about street fighter 2 what it's the journey that we've been on with this movie over the last 30 plus years uh vic i'm gonna let you go first of course you're gonna let me go first (laughs) because i love you buddy so, I mean, God, I mean, there's not much else that we could say besides everything that was said over the near last hour. It's definitely a movie of its time, but it's also great because of it. You know, at the time, to have a movie of that caliber mimic so many aspects of the game itself, because usually when you get a movie tie-in or a game video game tie-in, at the time, it was usually on the high cheese level and this i mean sure it has aspects that were a little cheesy but not horribly but it just worked and it worked well at the time and because of that it just carried on i mean the story in this movie is 10 leagues better than let's say story mode in street fighter 5. so I mean, it was just a great movie based on a great game yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, Lynette, Lynette, what are your, your final thoughts on Street Fighter Two movie? Made me want to go and pull out my uh, old Sega Genesis and grab my Street Fighter game. But uh, I enjoyed it. 
for you know for the dub version i i did enjoy it now i'm gonna go watch it in the sub version and and enjoy it even more but i thought it was pretty fun yes witness the love story of ken and ryu and experience <laughs> yeah i i did i busted out i busted out the game uh, when i after watching this i'm like god i gotta play this again i missed this it had been way too damn long uh brian brian final thoughts on street fighter 2 movie i think they did a let's say it's a love letter but it's not a love letter between ken and Ryu. it's actually a love letter to the fans to the other uh, video game does it have all your favorite uh do your favorite mains get all the time that you want? No, but mines did. <laughs> so everybody else can suck it. <laughs> that feels like a personal attack there, Brian. But the first time I beat in Bison, it was a guy. I remember it. He jumped up and I did the net, the backbreaker. Yeah. Killed him. So guy was in there. Uh, <laughs> You already talked about the whole beating it with Kid and Ryu and playing in Street Fighter Alpha. And the yep. first person who I beat the game when it came to Super was Faye Long. I mean, it was, a, it, it was made for me. And you guys just got to see it. <laughs> yes. If not for anything, watch it for Brian. Um. <laughs> you know, I, I, but all your people that they had a wonderful formula. And, and you're not going to be able to make a movie on the video game based on everybody. You have to choose who's going to be the main character and let that character shine. Maybe they'll do one where Ryu does actually shine. It wasn't in the <laughs> I, I agree with all the sentiments here. I think that the movie, it does hold up to repeated watchings because it is a love letter to the games and those those experiences everybody had growing up sitting in front of a super nintendo or a sega genesis on a little 480i screen beating the shit out of everybody and, and shit talking each other when somebody keeps spamming balrog's goddamn electric attack that's that's all here right that's the experience of watching this anime is the experience of playing that game with your friends and I think that that's the most powerful thing you can have is is nostalgia, right? Nostalgia is a very powerful motivator. And this movie, all it did was bring up nostalgia for me. And not just because I'd seen the anime a thousand times over the last 30 years, but because I remember what it felt like to love that game. I remember what it felt like to be with my friends and have a good time together and to be youthful. And that's great. And you can't money can't buy that feeling right so rewatch the hell out of this anime and i'll rewatch it again and again and again probably for the rest of my life um i will say that despite the shitty ass live action jcvd one eventually we got a really good street fighter live action movie uh, assassin's fist shout out to the team on that one uh joey ansa and uh christian howard i love those guys they're great and uh if you don't watch this anime at the very least check out that movie it's it's very much the same thing it's a love letter to the games in all the right ways totally worth it oh for sure i mean for those that don't know we actually did talk to them before at comic-con and exactly. they obviously love the game yeah 
Yeah. I mean, they, Mike they, Mo we, and, we were challenged. <laughs> yes, we were. Yeah. Mike Moe and, and Joey Anza and the team that did Assassin's Fist, they, they were passionate fans. And they, they made a fan movie, got Capcom's blessing, made a real one. And it was good. And if you love the games, you'll love that movie. So if you can't find the time to watch this anime, which you should absolutely do, it's worth your time. Uh, then check out, check that out too. So on that note, that's going to be our show for today. Uh, Vic, how can people challenge you for the fate of the world? Yeah, they can't. I am undefeated. No, I wish. Um, they can find me, as always, my puppet's Twitter, which is at kaiju underscore geek, D-R-T-T-O. That's uh, at K-A-I-J-U underscore G-E-E-K-G-R-T-T-O. And Brian, where do you brainwash your army of martial artists? Wow. You can find me at skits, skits backwards, and that's exactly the way it is. It's skits, S-K-I-T-Z. I have to remind myself each time. If you make sure to jump on and ask him if he's finished watching Akira. That's right. It's very important. Lynette and I will spectate from the background with hilariously low frame rates. So until next time, everyone, keep calm and sure you can. You've just been privy to the mindless midlife musings of the anime nerd presented by Geek Grotto. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Geek Grotto. For show notes and corrections, or for general geeky fun, you can visit our website at geek-grotto.com. If you would like to sponsor the show, you can do so on the podcast's Red Circle host site, redcircle.com slash shows slash M-M-M-A-N. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app, please like, follow, and subscribe.